and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm still not joined by Taylor Rockwell here in studio because he is still on vacation at the beach, a well-earned vacation for Taylor Rockwell. Today's guest is Andres Eduardo. Andres is one of the co-hosts of Roman's Empire, a Chelsea podcast. And I wanted to get Andres on the show, not just because I love puns, and Roman's Empire is a great pun, but because Andres is someone who has a really good understanding of what's going on at Chelsea right now. And there's a lot going on. It's a really odd situation at Chelsea. Um, And also has a good read on the new style of play, under Frank Lampard. So listen in to this interview with Andres and you'll hear all about uh, Sarri ball and why despite finishing third in the Premier League and winning the Europa League, Sarri kind of had to go and what things are going to look like under Frank Lampard Jr., how the team's going to play, which young players will benefit and crucially what Christian Pulisic's role is going to be. Okay, we have more of these Premier League previews coming throughout the week. We'll be previewing all of the big six and maybe Wolves as well. Enough from me. Here's my interview with Andres Eduardo, all about Chelsea Football Club. Andres Eduardo, welcome to the Total Soccer Show. How are you doing? Doing all right, Daryl. I appreciate you reaching out, man. Love to talk Chelsea. All right, great. Yeah, you are a member of the Romans Empire podcast, which I've got to say is a magnificently named Chelsea podcast. Oh, man, I can't take credit for the title. I got to join Zach and Psalm uh, during their second full or third full season. Now I'm a full-time member, but it is quite clever. We're just crossing our fingers that... Roman doesn't sell the club anytime soon because we are fresh out of ideas for a new podcast title. So yeah, let's start there. Like the, the, the danger for you is that Roman leaves. And right now, as I understand it, he's still in trouble with the UK government and uh, can't enter the UK. Is that still the situation? That is definitely still the situation. So it all started with the fact that he was or he is a Russian oligarch. So he thought, OK, so to avoid this, I just need to become a citizen of a country that's not Russia. So everyone's like, okay, no big deal. He'll do that. We'll all move on. He became a <laughs> Israeli citizen, and the UK's like, uh, no, buddy, not that simple. You're still not allowed to step in here. So, yeah, our owner, who used to be at every home game, or at least most of them, has not been to a home game since due to his legal issues, but made it out to the to the anti-Semitism match in Boston this past summer and he oh, yeah. was actually seen in the I believe it was this past weekend in Austria against RB RB uh, Salzburg so yeah I was just reading that that he met up with Frank Lampard for the first time um in Austria as manager right so he he still tries to be involved as much as oh possible. yeah of course they would have they definitely would have crossed <laughs> paths in the past right <laughs> right so it's a, the first time as a as his direct boss yeah let's say that way yeah no buffer with no buffer um so the reason like correct me if i'm wrong the reason is because of because of the salisbury poisonings it's essentially uk government sanctions on russian oligarchs right to try and to try and punish russia Exactly. So he's he's on that list. And so he, he is kind of a, a red X to, to any incoming trips to the UK. And I mention all this because it's all part of the sort of weird situation that Chelsea find themselves in this season, right? That the owner can't enter the country, can't go to any games in London. And then you've got the transfer ban. Uh, so Chelsea have been unable to sign players this summer, except for Kovacic. Is that just because he was on loan, so he was already registered, so therefore they couldn't exactly. It. Okay. So the 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 whole ban is really on reg- new registrations. So 
if we would if the club would have wanted to, Iguain would have been another player who could have signed permanently. Yeah. Thank God we didn't activate <laughs> yeah. that clause. If he'd managed to score any goals, maybe you would have been <laughs> interested. <laughs> right. Exactly. So we'll we'll gamble with the three guys that we've got in the roster right now. And here's what I'm driving at from the outside looking in as well. Then you you had a coach in Sari who implemented a style of play, finished third in the Premier League, won the Europa League. And now he's gone and you've hired a guy who couldn't get Derby promoted. So is it, from, is it just from the outside looking in that this seems like a weird situation? Or do Chelsea fans and analysts feel like it's a weird season coming up? It, it, it's a weird situation all around. Uh, I think that objectively speaking, any other club would have given Sarri another year. Yeah. But then you, you add the transfer ban and his track record with promoting youth. Those two things kind of clash. Oh. Sorry was is the kind of guy that wanted to bring in a few more of his former players, people yeah. that fit his scheme, rather than having to teach a brand new batch of young players what sorry ball looks like. So at that point, he, he also mentioned how he was homesick. Juventus came knocking, and he just opened that door wide open and said, yeah, I'd rather go back to Italy. I'm not you know, very loved here by the fans. The situation at Chelsea is what it is. So he would have had to wait until next summer to bring in players. And <laughs> to sign knowing, players. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and on top of that, based on Chelsea's hire and fire mentality, he probably would have been out of a job halfway through the season and not been able to secure himself a better managerial position. Oh, so, maybe, so maybe he looked at the history and thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump to Italy before I'm pushed out of the UK. <laughs> I think so. I think yeah. it's a 50-50 on yeah. that end. The club wasn't his, committing his own to him. Brexit. He wasn't right. I think, <laughs> yeah, I think it was a two-way street on on the lack of commitment. So I'm not very disappointed in him leaving, just because I knew he always had a foot out the door. Yeah. As well as Chelsea never truly bought into his philosophy. So to bring someone who who is not looking to add to his CV in Lampard is probably the smart bet because expectations are at an all-time low, yeah. even for Chelsea's standards going into this next season. So before we talk Lampard, I've got one more sorry question, and it's that you yeah. mentioned the fans sort of turning on him and not being thrilled. And I'd heard that, but I never understood why. Do you have any sort of insight into why Chelsea fans weren't happy with a guy that, you know, brought his style, implemented it, mm-hmm. finished third, won the Europa League? Like, what was the, what was the disconnect? Yeah, so it, it all starts with, for one, his way of handling the media – uh, you know, a team like Chelsea is already going to have all their words twisted. They are the big villain in the Premier League. But Sarri always preached about his football and his philosophy and how his way, no matter what, always found a solution to get the results. And he always talked about how Sarri ball would eventually click and that would solve all its issues. While, you know, we have this very strong vocal group of match going uh, supporters who Never saw plan B when teams started figuring out that man-marking Jorginho would essentially make the whole team crumble. Yeah, I remember uh, that like six weeks into the season, two months into the season. It, yeah. Like, teams started uh, doing that and yeah, there wasn't exactly. a, there wasn't was, a I believe the first time was Tottenham going into November because yeah. technically Deli we Ali were was the longest. Him, right? yeah, uh, yeah, we were the longest team to go on unbeaten in Europe. So uh-huh. things were all rainbows and butterflies. <laughs> there was, there was, you know, the the initial people like, oh, what's the point of having eighty five percent possession when we're only scoring one goal? But he was unbeaten until Tottenham, and then we had a really bad run to f- kind of go into January, 
except for that City match where we actually got to beat City. But the, the point was that he wasn't doing himself any favors because people were asking him about, you know, what is plan B and do you, don't you think you should pr- bring N'Golo Kante back to more of a defensive role? You know, you're, you're really leaving yourself exposed and people are capitalizing on that. And his answer was always like, well, th- this is my way of doing things. Like it was all about his ego rather than what the team needed. And that just completely made him lose I would say 40% of the fans real fast. Then when January rolls around, he's got a transfer window. He brings in, he, he then starts moaning because in the summer he said he's a coach. So he'll coach the players up to his standards. Then he ships out Murata, gets in Higuain, and things don't really change except that, you know, in typical Chelsea fashion, we do somehow figure it out and, and get top, top four. <laughs> and, the brilliance of Eden Hazard masked a lot of the issues, I think, to to people that don't follow Chelsea on a on a day to day. All right, so I did want to talk Lampard, but I'm going to put it up a little further because you mentioned Eden Hazard. So, <laughs> of course, his hundred million pound, hundred million euro exit to Real Madrid. It how badly does that hurt the team? Like, how big of a blow is that in terms of how you see the strength of Chelsea? Oh man, I mean, fifty one percent of your goals is is a very heavy burden to lose uh you know again when things go wrong i think the team relied on him much like how barcelona depends on messi to do everything i think that's how chelsea survived and got to where they were last season and for multiple seasons before so i think for the first time in the seven years he's been at chelsea the club needs to find a new identity so I think that, especially in the final third of the pitch. So we used to play, okay, we get the ball to the final third, give the ball to Eden, and and let Eden's brilliance take us to the promised land from there. So we're going to go from heavy reliance on one offensive dynamo to kind of having to spread the wealth and hope that multiple pieces can can bring in uh, a bit of the scoring and playmaking. Yeah, so if you'll forgive the pun, now that Chelsea have been thrown out of Eden... (laughs) <laughs> um, what yeah is it is there like a weird silver lining to that uh where it it could be that other people step up and you get to have a team where you can be excited about multiple pieces instead of just let's hope Eden does something uh, I I think I'm trying to be an optimist and say yes so the biggest example I can give is that teams like Manchester City dominating in the Premier League don't have the one top 10 player that does everything you you get people to to share the wealth in the Sterlings, the Bernardo Silva's, Aguero, they're all pitching in. Obviously, they're all very talented players, but they're all pitching in non- nonetheless. Then let's talk about Liverpool a little bit. Last season's Liverpool made the Champions League final. Obviously, they got to build on that, but that team was also, it was the first time Trent Alexander-Arnold got and came into the scene, but he was bringing in assists. He was helping from that side. Their midfield wasn't very strong, but together as a unit, they were a very good team. So, I think we're seeing in football in general the decline of the superstar being able to carry you to all of your trophies yeah. and more of the, the team mentality and the, the system beats the the ego individual. So I'm hoping that that's what we see. Uh, I think that some of the players in the squad will benefit slightly from not having to give the ball off to Eden, uh, specifically someone like Willian, who had a very good summer in the Copa America 
in a team that shared the ball and moved off the ball yeah, instead of scared no and watched for him. <laughs> right, exactly. There was no Neymar, and Brazil had to find answers elsewhere, and Willian was pretty important to that. So I think he'll benefit a little bit. I think it'll give room for someone like Ruben Loftus-Cheek to grow into his own. Uh, and yeah, I think players will stop thinking, okay, I just need to give the ball to Eden, or Eden's going to come and take the ball off my feet because that's what's expected. And, and kind of it's a call to action for everyone else to, to step it up a little bit. And so the man in charge of making sure there's like a good team cohesion, a good team effort is the new manager, the new coach, Frank Lampard. Um, and I want to ask you, what from what you've seen in preseason, I guess, mm-hmm. what is the Frank Lampard style of play, both in terms of, in terms of the shape of the team, like the literal formation, and mm-hmm. in terms of how he likes his teams to attack and defend and go about their business? Yeah, so before I get to the formation, I think the biggest thing is the counter-pressing. Very high pressing in the opponent's half is definitely something that's kind of stuck in this preseason. You see the front three, front four, sometimes even five players in the formation giving it their all the moment they lose the ball or the moment the opponent tries to play out the back. Okay. Uh, I think another so pressing thing and is- counter-pressing. Yeah, I, 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 you see it mostly in the opponents. That's when they're trying extremely hard, which has left us open to a few counterattacks ourselves. So obviously there's still a learning curve there. Uh, and then in terms of in possession, he does want to keep the ball as much as possible when they have the ball. But unlike Sari and, and just kind of recycling the ball through midfield, you see him trying to, to push the ball, have his team push the ball further forward and into wide areas. So... I think he he likes to get more danger going through the flanks. So I expect more more of a need for for players comfortable with the ball at their feet at the winger position as well as the fullback position. Because even this in the preseason five matches so far, I saw Aspilicueta with do cutback crosses, and and that's unheard of as of last season. So <laughs> uh, definitely those overlapping runs and and making sure that players are getting into the box, whether it's a late run, front post run. It's a little. It's going to be a little bit more dynamic in that final third for sure. So, for our listeners who maybe aren't familiar with the the jargon or the terminology, what do you mean by a cutback cross? Uh, you know, getting the ball all the way to the final byline and the ball being more of a backwards pass towards the penalty spot. Okay. Uh, rather than an early cl- lofted ball into the area for players to run on run onto. So. While I do expect us to have a couple of counterattacks where the long over-the-top ball will be key, I also think that in possession we will see our wingers or even the fullbacks be all the way at the goal line and passing the ball backwards a la Leroy Sané and and Raheem Sterling at Manchester City. Yeah, I mean, that's the Man City move, right? Is to get to the touchline and cut it back to the penalty spot and then there's always a player there. Um, Exactly. So you mentioned Aspilicueta. He's someone that I think of um, as... Whoever, whomever the Chelsea coach is, seems to ask him to play a slightly different role. He's been like a, <laughs> he's been an attacking. Forget, uh, correct me if I'm wrong in any of these, but I'm going to say he's been an attacking right back, a defensive left back, and sometimes a, a centre back. So, uh, what's <laughs> what's his role under Lampard? Is it the attacking right back, which is what I think he came up doing? Um. So he he played. So he was signed after winning the Champions League in 2013 so for the 2012-2013 campaign and he he was supposed to just be the heir apparent to Ivanovic then due to Ashley Cole's injury he had to play left back and essentially displaced Ashley Cole altogether because of his one-on-one defending 
So at that point, Chelsea had to transition from a very offensive left back to to having that duty go to the opposite end because Aspilicueta was doing so well at locking them down. Then after that, he was brought back onto the right once Ivanovic aged out and he was more of a defensive right back then. Then Conte came by and he was the right center back in a back <laughs> three. And the furthest he would ever get up was probably 10 yards ahead of the halfway line. And then under Sari, Sari tried making him do the overlapping runs. And I think because of all this, this shifting, he's now a little bit awkward on, on, on the ball and, and doing that sort of duty. He's still one of our very best one-on-one defenders. But yeah, that's kind of the, the awkward positioning he's in right now. As much as he had what it takes to do that before, I think he's now kind of at a crossroads because he hasn't done it before. His crossing if anything, is, is, is lacking. And so it, it'll be interesting. I think Lampard would probably have him stay, let Emerson on the left side or even Marcos Alonso be the more uh, free-roaming fullback. But I, I see this as the beginning of, potentially the beginning of the end of Aspilicueta. I'm not saying we're actively trying to replace him, but due yeah, to it, what the team cap- is going to try to do. Is he captain? I think I've seen him be captain in preseason. Correct. So he was the captain last season behind Cahill. So Cahill didn't play much. Therefore, Aspie wore the armband for 98, 99% of the, the season. Got it. And uh, I, I saw Cahill in a Crystal Palace jersey today. Yep, that, that is official as of today. So happy for, for Cahill to find himself a move. I think it's long overdue. He's a very good defender, especially in a counter-attacking team. So I think people forget that. So he's not going to be your Bonucci-style long ball-playing defender, but if you need a center back to to be a stalwart inside his own box, Gary Cahill is one of the best to do that. So he'll do the job. He'll do the job. So we talked about fullbacks. You said that wing play is going to be really important for Chelsea this year. Um, the options I see on the wing are Pedro, uh, Willian, Callum Hudson-Odoi when he returns from injury. I'm not sure when mm-hmm. that is. And I would guess also Christian Pulisic, right? And I know Correct. our American listeners will be most interested in Christian Pulisic. So I guess my first question is, <laughs> how's he been doing in preseason? I, I ask sort of knowing the answer because I know what happened against Salzburg. Right. So, uh, so I, I want to take it even further back into this summer. I think most of the Americans got to see him in the Gold Cup and he was completely outstanding in that tournament. Yeah. Uh, by far, in my opinion, the best player in the tournament. I think he ended up getting best young player. But during that tournament, he was asked to play on the left wing. He was asked to play as the number 10 slash supporting striker. And he also played on the right side. So he showed his his versatility. Uh, it, when you play a CONCACAF team, that is essentially getting the what we Chelsea fans call the hazard treatment, where when you play lower opposition, you are <laughs> going to get hacked. Where you need Shinpad's to- front and back. Shingar's front exactly, and back. I remember Mourinho exactly. talking about. Yeah. So <laughs> that is, you can see that for having such a frail uh, body he's still very strong and yeah. hard to get off the ball which I think a lot of English fans were worried about and oh, well, just when they saw his physique they were like oh who's this exactly kid? yeah this yeah. kid's a little small he's probably yeah. gonna have to put on some pounds yeah. but they're like I thought Americans are obese what's going on with this guy <laughs> right first guy <laughs> first American that doesn't eat hot dogs and hamburgers every day unheard of <laughs> but no I, I I'm very excited obviously the moment he cut his vacation short to show Chelsea and the staff his his willingness to 
yeah. to cement his place on the team, which I thought was a very mature move. I'm sure Lampard loved that. Yeah, it was very and, smart, right? Because didn't he report late to US camp for the Gold Cup? Like in time for the Gold Cup, but he missed a couple of the friendlies because he took right. his vacation before the Gold Cup so that he could go straight from the Gold Cup uh, to West London to get involved with Chelsea. Exactly, exactly. So very smart move on his part, I believe. I He, he showed, again... His very first couple of games, he, he his first game was against Barcelona, and in that match he didn't score, but he did make Pique and Busquets look pretty silly. Made both of them fall on their ankles with a couple <laughs> of, of good moves. He definitely showed his dribbling and strength on the ball on that side. And then in the Salzburg game, he showed just his just burst of speed and pace, as well as the fact that he has still a very good touch on the ball while running at full speed. Yeah. That's the thing that really impressed me. Those, those long balls from Barkley, the kid is going at full sprint, and the ball just stopped dead on his tracks the moment he brought it down. So uh, for something that Pulisic isn't known for, which is goal scoring, I thought both of his finishes were very smart and well taken. So perhaps he might change his role in Dortmund I know he was more of a facilitator so maybe in this kind of high press counter-attacking side we'll be seeing him making those runs behind the defense a little bit more and putting himself in more direct goal scoring opportunities what really excites me as well is because he's so quick um, if Chelsea are counter-pressing and they have opportunities in transition where they've caught the opposition out um, and suddenly he has space to exploit, I would back Christian Pulisic with some space to exploit, even against Premier League defenders. Yeah, and, and worse comes to worse. He guts by, by your defender. Your defender takes him down. That's a red card. That's a free kick. That's a penalty kick. There's yeah. VAR now in the Premier League. So oh, I forgot about yeah. that. Yeah, that would be in Pulisic's favor for sure. Exactly. The, the, the way that Lampard's trying to play, if you know, if we use Pulisic the way I just described and then obviously the winger opposite of him, I think that if we get the pressing down as well as the, the cohesion between the front and the back lines, you'd be slightly surprised of what this, this batch of players can do. So how, um, how, have, how have you rated Pulisic's role in the pressing system? Does it look like he can do it? Yeah, I think he's used to it from his time at Dortmund. Uh, yeah, I think of course. That oh, yeah. Tuchel, so far, Tuchel loved it, right? Yeah, so I think that's a good start. I think Mason Mount, and uh, who played under Lampard last season, is also very comfortable in it. I think that the the, t- the two players, or the quote-unquote the three players that are, are most learning under this are, are the forwards, who are all fighting for the starting position. So that, that being Tammy, Mishi, and Giroud. Yeah, I, I want to dig into that later because I find that a really interesting sort of three-way competition. Yeah, I think they're the ones that need to learn a little bit more. I think Pedro had to do it a bit under Sari as well. Willian hasn't had to practice yet as he's they're trying to protect this small nagging injury going into the season. But Jorginho feels comfortable in it. So like I said, I think the the first presser being the forward has to be the one that needs to to pick up on when and how to press quicker quicker into the season for it to be a successful style of defending. And for a successful season for Pulisic, it looks to me like he's going to get um, a bit of a head start on his sort of competition because Willian obviously went all the way to Copa America final, so he came back late, mm-hmm. right? Um, so it's essentially Pulisic on the left and Pedro on the right is how it's been lining up in preseason, and I assume how we start the season, right? So, And then Callum Hudson-Odoi is coming back from that injury, so it looks like you'll have 
at least a little run at the start of the Premier League season, relatively unchallenged by competition, unless Willian gets kind of rushed back. And even then, I think that because of his price tag, I think Lampard and, and the staff will probably lean towards Pulisic more so than to Pedro. Okay. Uh, I think that when Willian returns, we will see a Willian on the left, Pulisic on the right. Yeah. Sort of setup. And, and I really do think also that Lampard and his coaching staff will want to give Pulisic more time, even if he's still maybe learning and a little rusty compared to Pedro, just because, again, this season's expectations are low. And I think the goal is more to build a foundation for the future. So you have a 20-year-old Pulisic versus a Pedro who's in his 30s. I, I expect him to get more minutes and get the nod. Uh, more often than not. That's a really good point. If it's a building season for Chelsea, it does give Pulisic a little bit of leeway, right? Like the pressure's not as on and it, as it could have been, as it could have been um, if it was Chelsea you're expected to challenge for the title and you're going to replace Eden Hazard and best of luck. <laughs> right. I, I, that's the saving grace, I think, of, of this summer, I think, to turn the negative into a positive. Uh, you're not expected to to win the season, especially the way Liverpool and City are are built going into this campaign. And on top of that, you have a semi-inexperienced manager in Lampard, obviously after just one season at Derby. So I think the goal of this season is a setup for the next. Yeah. So th- the, I think the general consensus is if we can see some concrete improvement from August to May and then maybe a deep run in one of the domestic trophies – Obviously, you want to get top four. That would be a 12 out of 10 season if we get Champions League. <laughs> but I yeah, mean, what's, what's acceptable? What, how low would Chelsea have to go before even Frank Lampard is in trouble? Oh, my goodness. For, for, to, realistically, for it to be bad, I think dropping out of the top eight. I think when you start thinking of a bad season, it's probably eighth or below. I think that. If we have, like I said, those good domestic runs and we finish anywhere between fourth and seventh, as long as there's a general improvement, a lot of Chelsea fans will still breathe easy. It, like you mentioned, Callum Hudson-Odoi, Ruben Loftus-Cheek coming back. I'm I'm also very excited about Reese James at right back, who's who's going to be coming into the side hopefully later was, this fall as well. Is he on loan? Is that what happened? Yeah, he was on loan at Wigan, uh, and he actually was the most awarded man of the match player who wasn't an offensive player in all of the championship. Mm-hmm. So, and where does he play? He plays at right back. So that's where I talked about kind of the beginning of Aspilicueta's end. I, I think see. that yeah. depending on how Frank wants to use that right side, I think Reese James may just bring a little bit more to the table moving forward uh, up the pitch. His crossing is pretty good he actually took set pieces for Wigan at some points in the season so he he delivers a pretty mean ball but again it it just kind of all depends on when he's healthy uh circumstance I I think the more we stay in domestic cups the more these young players can cement their place in the starting 11 for the league so there's gonna rotation's gonna be big this season Uh, you know you got Champions League Wednesdays the FA Cup the capital or i guess it's a carabag cup now carabag carabag i can't ever carabao <laughs> cup yeah and then the league so four competitions the, the energy drink no one's ever heard of cup <laughs> right and so <laughs> i i think that the youth players definitely are going to have a chance to to some to show their worth and i think that's what chelsea fans mostly want to see is you know callum hudson Adoy 
if it wasn't for that injury, he would have been a starter going into the season. Same with Loftus-Cheek. Now you have players like Zuma and Christensen who are going to battle it out with David Luiz and Rudiger. You got Reese James. Mason Mount had a great start to the preseason, so he's now fighting Barkley for that number 10 role going into the season. I'm really interested in that. What are the chances of Mason Mount starting a Premier League season? Because he's my my memory of him is he went on loan to Vitesse, as many Chelsea players Mm -hmm. do. And then obviously he went on loan uh, to Derby and played under Frank Lampard last season. And from the little bits of Derby games I saw did really, really well. So I really like the idea of Lampard having worked with him for a whole season, maybe putting more faith in Mason Mount than some other coach who'd never worked with Mount before would, right? So is it possible that Mason Mount is just, hey, you're going to be the number 10 for one of the biggest teams in England to start the season? (laughs) Uh, I think I would have said yes if it wasn't for the fact that Ross Barkley was by far our best player this preseason. Okay. Uh, so in that same spot, in that behind the striker, in that very same spot. spot. So yeah. so there, we we kind of you kind of asked me about formations earlier, and I didn't get around to it. Lampard has been flirting with two main formations this summer, and it's been the four two three one and the four four two diamond. Okay. So for Mount to start, I would say that if Lampard lines up against United in a four four two, then you will see both Mason Mount and Ross Barkley start the match, and and the reason behind that is at Derby. Lampard used Mount as a more of a marauding number eight box to box player because he does have the the engine for that, you know, so, getting back up so and one down of, the field. One of the sides of the diamond. Correct. So he would probably be on the left side of the diamond. You'd have Ross Barkley stay in the number 10 at the tip of the diamond. Uh, Kovacic for the meantime, while Conte finishes his rehab on the right side and Jorginho at the base of the of the diamond. Oh, OK. So, so before we go any further with Mason Mount, where does that leave Christian Pulisic? So, right. So at the, on the 4-4-2, that's kind of the downside. So I think, honestly, the reason why he messed with the 4-4-2 for a while is because Pulisic hadn't arrived yet. Uh, William it wasn't there yet. But in those roles, he did put Pedro as the tip of the diamond, as the 10. So I think that Pulisic could have that impact if that's the formation to go. But since his return and, and more of the full squad being back, it's been the 4-2-3-1. So... Unfortunately, because Ross Barkley has been just a monster at the 10 and he's been assisting, scoring and and doing a little bit of everything, I think Mount is going to be one. I think he's now just going to be one of the first names to come off the bench. I, I think see. that he'll he'll be one of those kind of pace come in with energy and, and go against tired legs sort of thing in the 60th, 70th minute to try to capitalize on, on a weak and tired defense. Hey, let's take a quick break from talking to Andres to talk to Taylor Rockwell, still at the beach. Hello, Taylor. Still at the beach. I did not drift away. I am here ready to talk Chelsea. And I, I'm just interrupting your vacation left, right and center. I think this is the less, the total social lesson is never go on vacation. I mean, it, it's kind of an understood uh, like fact at this point, uh, for, at least for my life, that like, the phone is probably going to be near me at most times, and there may always be questions to answer. So, uh, or you know, ads to read and uh, conversations to have. So I think yeah. she's, she's made a piece of it. She has left to buy alcohol, so maybe that's how she's choosing to deal with it. <laughs> that's that certainly is one coping mechanism. <laughs> it certainly, it certainly is. <laughs> All right, so we're going to talk a little Chelsea, but first we're going to talk HelloFresh because today's show is sponsored by HelloFresh, a meal kit delivery service that shops, plans, and delivers step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients, so you can just cook eat and enjoy Taylor are you, how are you eating at the beach 
See, this is a, it's good you asked this because the answer is uh, thus far uh, scavenging off of what was already here because uh, <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my like brother, a, like a seagull? My brother, yeah, exactly. I, I just uh, hover in the rafters and I wait for my brother and his family to drop food and then I just like hop down and <laughs> scream mine and then I pick it up and I run back up into the rafters. <laughs> scream um, mine. No, <laughs> is that what you think we, seagulls are saying? We, mine, mine. No, it's what it's what it's what they say in Finding Nemo. I oh believe. yes, it so is. that's what I'm going with. Yes, brilliant. Yes, yes. Yeah, uh, I'm around children. Children's movie references are going to be around. Um, <laughs> no, I was thinking actually how much HelloFresh actually would be sort of perfect for the beach. Because yeah. there is always that, like, you know, like who needs to go out and get groceries? Who needs to go out and find, like, the fresh produce? Uh, but if you don't feel like doing all that, if, you know, it's like a lot of traffic in and around the beach area, then you can just use HelloFresh because they make Concrete in the Kitchen a reality with this deliciously simple uh, recipes that, most importantly, are delivered straight to your door. So you could send them to, you know, the, the, the beach house or wherever you might be, or even just your own house if you want to do it that way. It sounds like someone found the copy. Um, HelloFresh. <laughs> <laughs> it's fresh, pre-measured ingredients. I was trying to reveal that discreetly, Daryl, but uh, yeah, sure, go ahead. Fresh, pre-measured ingredients and easy to follow. Follow six-step pictured recipe cards are delivered mm-hmm. to your door each week in a special insulated box. I want to say a word about the special insulated box. That thing does yeah. its job. I have left HelloFresh stuff in there for a day or two after receiving it. You open it up and you get blasted yeah. with cold air. It is still nice and cold in there. It keeps things fresh. Do you do the refrigerator math of like, I could put this in the fridge, but it's a great big box. I'm going to find a way to, uh, like, just, I'm just going to leave this out for right now. I'm sure the insulation's fine. So it is then comforting when you open it up and, and it is uh, nice and cold inside. All is still good, right? All is still good. And then, <laughs> exactly. Uh, exactly. My wife Shannon has usually played refrigerator Tetris for me and uh, made some space. <laughs> there it is. That's, that's the better way to put it. That's and, the better way to put it. And would and like, you, oh, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say this about HelloFresh. Uh, the ice packs that they send you are very, very nice. And if you are planning a vacation and you're taking things that need to take home with you, as my wife and I were, we use the HelloFresh uh, ice packs. So <laughs> reusable even after the fact. There yeah. you go. And then recyclable if you want them to be. Um, and if you're sure, well, yes, there's that too. If you're short of time, all the meals come together in 30 minutes max mm-hmm. and call for fewer than two pots and pans and require minimal cleanup. Did you notice I made an edit to the copy there to make it more grammatically correct? Uh, it says less than. I'm going to say it exactly <laughs> and, uh, you know, make sure that all goes to plan. Uh, but if you maybe are used to kids who don't make it easy for things to go to plan, uh, they make family dinners fuss-free. Uh, with uh, picky eater, kid tested, and approved family recipes, which I think is very nice. If you want to go the family route, you can. If it's you know just Daryl and Shannon sneaking away for a weekend, then they can just do the uh, the two person box and uh, get more uh, for just the two of them. And you get the classic veggie or family uh, plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and menu features include Hello Fresh's dinner to lunch, twenty minute meals, gourmet, and one pot wonders, among many many more. Yeah, we are. And for $80 off your first month of HelloFresh, just go to HelloFresh.com slash TSS80. Yeah. Uh, that is HelloFresh.com slash TSS80 and enter TSS80 at checkout. Uh, it's like receiving eight meals for free, Daryl Grove. <laughs> you talking to me? Yeah, I'm talking to you. Your math checks out. You're your math like, checks out. You're, you're always like... It's like seven meals, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's eight. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you to HelloFresh for sponsoring today's show. The link will be in the show notes. Taylor, let's talk Chelsea. What Do you have any thoughts about about Chelsea Football Club or any questions you would like me to ask Andres? Yeah, I think it's really weird they haven't signed many players this summer, Dale. They're usually (laughs) a club that goes out and signs a lot of big names so that they haven't done that. It's an interesting strategy. I have seen a lot of pro-Chelsea sites 
like or like fans that want to ask for a comment, they're definitely like, I'm excited for the new direction. I'm excited for the new approach. And yeah, like, yeah. yeah, y'all didn't just do that. That wasn't a choice <laughs> that was made. But I mean, it was it, a choice that was made, just not by them. Could it be a good thing? This is one of the things I'll be talking to Andres about. Like the fact that, you know, Chelsea have famously always had these exciting yep. youth players, but they keep sending them out on loan to like Vitesse. Um, well, suddenly you've got Mason Mount and Tammy Abraham seem like they might be part of the first 11 or at least the first team squad. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that is definitely reason to be excited. And it's essentially, I don't know if uh, the ownership at Chelsea will agree with this one, but it's kind of a throwaway season because you've got new manager in there who is, I would say, there for like emotional reasons, similar to like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer when he was brought in at Manchester United. I yeah. think there's an element of like, yeah, he can coach. I agree also, because like, yeah, he knows how to do stuff. I don't think nearly getting Derby promoted is the usual no. sort of criteria that Chelsea look for in a coach, right? Yeah, I think Steve McLaren would have been uh, hired by Chelsea like <laughs> twice by now. So yes, I, I don't, I don't think that's the way it works. Uh, yeah, so I think like also he's very popular, but also even if things don't go well, there's the like, well, you know, he lost Aiden Hazard. They had the transfer ban. Callum Hudson Odoi had the injury. So by the way, I find that name incredibly difficult to say. I don't know if that was obvious, uh-huh. uh, but like. So I think he's kind of going to be kind of forgiven for most of what happens this season, short of like being in the relegation zone, which I don't think is going to happen. I think that it's a season of like, yeah, we're going to play some youngsters. We're going to see what's there. We're going to see if Frank Lampard can handle it. And it's kind of a no pressure season if such a thing ever exists in the Premier League. You got any Christian Pulisic thoughts? I know we've already talked a lot about him on the show, but how are you feeling right now as we head in, you know, the season starts this weekend? (laughs) So here's the thing. We've, we established uh, in an episode that uh, Island Taylor appears to be a thing. Yeah. And I, Island Taylor is going to stick around for Christian Pulisic because <laughs> you know that I have been a little bit nervous about Christian Pulisic, about yeah, yeah. how he is sort of um, going to have these expectations of being the Aiden Hazard replacement, and he's their big signing, even if it was in January. You know, still, like, it's kind of his debut season. So I, I think, though, that, like, he is not necessarily going to live up to the hype in terms of play like Aiden Hazard and it will be this seamless transition, but more just that I think like he is really, really smart on the ball. And I think that's a thing we've seen since he was 17, that he's really smart and makes good decisions. And I think when you're thrown into a new situation, like he's going to be at Chelsea, I think he's going to know, like play smart, do what the manager says. And that's the best way to succeed. And I know that sounds really basic, but it oftentimes isn't because there's oftentimes the big-name player, I think, of Unhealthy Maria to Manchester United, and it's like, okay, now we're going to play you a little bit more central. And it was just sort of like, nah, I'm not going to do that. Whereas I think Pulisic is going to be there to prove it, and I think like when he does go simple, we see him just be really precise in his passing and really smart in his execution and decision-making. And I feel like there's a decent chance we see him sort of do a little bit more stripped down in terms of taking people on, but I think that that's probably what Frank Lampard is going to want. And so... Maybe I'm just like trying to be positive about Christian Pulisic, but I don't think I am. I think I'm genuinely I, sort of excited to see what Frank Lampard gets out of him. I hope you're wrong because I think a huge part of Pulisic's game is just straight up running at people and like taking mm-hmm. people out of the game by blazing past them. And I think if he gets timid and starts just playing simple yeah. passes, keep the ball, keep the ball, like don't take any big risks, then you lose a big part of what makes Christian Pulisic really effective. So I actually hope for the complete opposite. I hope he just goes out there feeling super confident and goes at people and risks, you know, losing the ball two times out of five, but going past Premier League defenders three times out of five. I'd much prefer that yeah, version of I mean, Pulisic. I want to see him on match of the day. <laughs> I think I mean, that would be that would be fine and probably ideal. I guess what what I mean though, maybe I've like poorly explained it, is that like when I play 
for a team that is like significantly better. If I'm surrounded by people who I know are, are very much better than I am, or at least more like confident uh, in that moment, I will try to simplify a little bit to get up to speed faster. That it will be like, oh, I'm just going to play like one and two touch. I'm not going to try to do too much, but I'm going to make sure that like, I've got my footing. I know who, who can play. I know where to play the ball. And then maybe I'll try to step over. Like once I'm kind of going into it a little bit more. And I guess that's more so what I mean. That I think he is capable of stripping it down to kind of find his footing. Yeah. And once he's found his footing, now there's a step over. I think, now there's a takeoff. I think, now there's a double step over. I think where I disagree with you is I'm, I'm not sure Pulisic or even Chelsea see him that way, right? He's like a £70 million pound or $70 million signing who's you know, made his reputation by burning people. And I, I think that he, it's not like he's playing with people better than him. Like he has a more storied career than, say, Mason Mount or Tammy Abrahams. You know what I mean? Like, I, th- I think he's ready to just be one of the guys that has license to, to go past people. I guess See, it's, I, and it's I, fine I, if we just disagree on this, but I think it's an interesting way to yeah. look at where Christian Pulisic stands and what he should be trying to do going into the season. Yeah, I, mean, that's, I, I think I take issue with you saying that he's made his career on like taking people on and like making people look foolish or whatever, because I don't know if I agree with that. I don't think of like... Him like yeah, he can certainly like bring out a move here and there, but I think of him more as a very like competent and then flashy player. So uh, yeah, maybe that's maybe that's the question then is like how will Chelsea use him? How like what are the expectations for him from Frank Lampard? Maybe it would be uh, a thing I'd be interested to hear from someone wiser than myself. Oh, I will ask Andres, but not you. <laughs> Not you. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Um, <laughs> all right. Before I get back to talking to Andres about uh, Chelsea Football Club, today's may, show. May, may, may I throw in one more thing, though? Because, uh, sorry, I, the other question I had that I really want to know is what will they do with the combination of Mbolo Conte and Jorginho uh, in the middle? And, like, does that suit Jorginho to have Conte partnering him? Will they have to lose us for one or the other? You probably already asked that, or you're probably already planning to, but I just want to make sure because that's what I'm fascinated by with Chelsea this season. So you're interested in how that sort of... Because it'll, it'll probably be a 4-2-3-1, unless Andres tells me yeah. otherwise. And, yeah, so instead of the usual three-man midfield with Jorginho in the middle, it'll, mm-hmm. yeah, it will be Conte and Jorginho. And in my head, that could work. I'm, like, I, I wonder yeah. what Andres has seen in preseason, for example. So exactly. I will make sure to ask that question for you. How about that? I appreciate that, my friend. And no I problem. will no longer interrupt you so that we can then say that today's episode <laughs> is brought to you by Talisman Caps, our friends. Or wear talisman caps. I have packed three hats with me to the beach. They are all talisman. I wore one today. Oh, which which ones? Are you, which ones did you pack, and which one are you wearing? Uh, Andrea Pirlo is. Uh, it was on my head until okay. uh, just a moment ago, uh, and then the uh, the uh, the street soccer one is, yes, is with me with the street soccer logo. The, yeah. Uh, yeah, as the Quattro Blanco one, I believe. Oh, lovely. I remember the Blanco one. We picked that up in Chicago, right? Oh, no, I lied. It's the uh, Edgewater Castle one, which I think they also made. They did indeed. I'm looking at it now. They definitely did the Edgewater Castle <laughs> one. That's the, uh, the team in Chicago. I'm glad that you checked. I'm glad that you checked. I also, did. Did. back in stock on the Talisman website, just in time for the Premier League season, is... The CFC cap. It's a blue cap with big, bold white letters. CFC. You can guess which team you'll be repping if you wear the CFC cap. Cardiff. I guess the, the things that destroy the ozone layer, maybe? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Cor- 
chlorofluorocarbons or something oh, like that. I forget what those are. Great memory from the nineties, Taylor. Great memory from the nineties. There's also really not. I didn't say it with any level of confidence or confidence. <laughs> if if you're not a Chelsea fan, there's also a liverbird cap, a red cap with mm-hmm. the liverbird on it. There's a sky blue cap with the word city on it in big bold letters, and there's a cap with it's uh it's kind of claret and blue, and it's got two hammers crossed over each other on it. You can guess which team that's all about as well. All yeah, those caps. If you're all about Charlie Hunnam. That's so it. You get that one. That is it. All those caps are back in stock. Stock at talismancaps.com. and you can use the discount code TOTALSUCKER10. That's TOTALSUCKER10 to get ten percent off any hat when you spend thirty-five dollars or more. And all the hats cost thirty-five dollars, so you'll be getting that ten percent off with the code TOTALSUCKER10. There we are. So thank you very much to Talisman Caps for sponsoring today's episode and keeping from the hot, hot, hot sun while we are at the beach. So, sorry, say that again. I lost you for a second, Tyler. I said uh, thank you very much to Talisman Caps for sponsoring today's episode and for keeping my, my head uh, shielded from the hot, hot sun. <laughs> it's very important that we don't fry those brains. We need them for when you, for when you come back to Richmond to record more shows. <laughs> Is that how it works? Yeah, don't fry them. <laughs> oh, too much sunlight fries your brain? That's, yeah, that's science. That's absolute think, science. The 90s told me it was just drugs that fry my brain. I didn't know that it was also the sun. So, Taylor, I'll say one more time, thank you for interrupting your vacation. I will let you get back to whatever it is you're doing at the beach. Uh, Now it's going to be cowering from the sun, but uh, thank you, my friend. (laughs) And I'll talk to you again very soon. So, as an England fan, I've long been interested in the prospect of Ross Barkley fulfilling the promise that we saw in those early clips for Everton. So yeah. is it is he really looking that good in preseason? Like Ross Barkley could have the type of season that um, he promised he would have like five years ago? I mean, I think so. So I think it's one of the cases where this player, while very talented and just on paper stats, I think he just feels so comfortable playing behind and close to the striker. Yeah. So one of the biggest gripes I had when he first was signed is that Conte was pl- trying to play him as a winger slash inside forward at the front three of a 3-4-3 three, three, where Barkley was receiving the ball with his back to goal. And I think that one of his strengths was always running at defenses and making yeah. them react to him. So playing more advanced and, and closer to the, the forward lets him combine, lets him do just, you know, he has that long-range shot. It, it's a lot less of... How how do I put this without sounding like a jerk? Because I I'm not trying to say he's a dumb player, but I think that but that's been the knock, right? Is that he makes bad decisions? Right. I don't think he his decision making suits that role more because it's more direct to to getting the end product of a goal. So yeah. he doesn't have to think of build up. He doesn't have to think of oh I need to pass the ball to this player because the defense is set up this way. It's a lot more of matter of fact okay my forward's making this run the defense is going to shift this way instead of trying to read a midfield group in the way they defend in the middle of the park so I really just think that Barkley at a number 10 is miles better than Barkley at a box-to-box role that makes sense to me so it's all about him receiving the ball facing goal and in my head then he's able to run at people which is what I was excited about to begin with, he kind of, this reference may not resonate with you as much as it does for maybe England fans, but mm-hmm. he kind of reminded me of Gaza, the early stuff I saw, because it was like a, a sort of muscular but skillful dribbling, where it was half a trick and half just it was impossible to get around him, and then he could accelerate away from people. Yeah, and I don't know if on top of that you have, for once, he's, he's also had a full, healthy season. He didn't have any knocks for the first time in a long time this past season, so he got to play 
a lot more than he had in the last couple of seasons at Everton and even with, with Conte's time at Chelsea. And to add to that, you have one of the greatest midfielders in Premier League history now being your day-to-day manager and coach, which I'm sure Lampard, again, Lampard versus Sarri, Sarri had his ideology and it was his his style over everything. While I think Lampard's using more of the approach of, here's what I have, let's get the best of what I have in front of me. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, I also had a question about the, if it's a 4-2-3-1, uh, the base two, you know, the two mm-hmm. at the base of the midfield. And um, my co-host Taylor, I, I spoke to him. We've got like a mini interview with Taylor that I'll drop into the middle of this episode. Um, okay. So, so I've waited till the second half to ask this question to make sure people have heard it already. Um, but Taylor was really interested in how Jorginho and Conte's roles have changed um, in this sort of new new shape and new Lampard style? Because it used to be sort of a 4-3-3 and everybody give mm-hmm. the ball to Jorginho. And then Conte was, uh, N'Golo Conte was asked to do a more sort of, a more box-to-box role than his normal defensive destroyer midfield role um, yep. under Sari. What are their roles like under Frank Lampard? Yeah, so the double pivot, again, you're hitting the nail right on the head. I think every fan was worried about what Jorginho would be without Sari because yeah. Sari was very vocal about the fact that he believed Jorginho was useless in a midfield too. Ooh, I, he said that, that was he. It was ex- on the dot at a post-match conference. They asked him, "Why don't you switch to a four-two-three-one and that way allow Conte to play further back?" And he said specifically, "Jorginho does not work in a midfield two. He plays in a midfield three, and that's it." So you hear these things from, you know, who you believe is Jorginho's father, essentially, in footballing terms. <laughs> yeah. and, and that kind of puts questions in your mind. So uh, I've been extremely surprised about how well the double pivot this preseason has gone between Kovacic and Jorginho. Uh, the usual gripes of him being left to essentially be run past or, or bullied at the base of midfield have been uh, calmed. I think that he... Also doesn't have to have 300 passes a match for the system to work. He, he is very involved in the buildup out of the back because his off-the-ball running is still very good. And he's, you know, very good. If you watch him while every other player has the ball at Chelsea, you see him always pointing, telling players where to move. So it's it's a very underrated trait that he has. Yeah, but he's like a director of passing. Right, and, and uh, yeah, exactly. And on top of that, he's been a lot more direct. So he's not trying to just pass through these little pass triangles to eventually turn around you you see him have his head up field a lot more so the pass is going maybe now to Barkley at the number 10 or out to Pulisic on the right or on the left or maybe he's making Emerson start his run up the flank at the left back and passing out to him so it's it's a lot more the possession the possession aspect is still there but there's a lot more purpose to to drive the envelope and get forward uh, we're we're going to be a lot of a more smash mouth football than this beautiful orchestra per se. And, as, and a, as a fan, do you find that more exciting, more appetizing to watch than the pass, 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 um, Richard Sarri style? I think so because we should have more chances. So one thing that was very obvious last season was that, okay, we're going to slowly play it until we finally get something to the final third. And it looked very formulaic. And and so it was really easy for teams to set up in a way where, OK, the ball is eventually going to end up here because that's how they build up their their movements going forward. So I expect it to be 
organized chaos, if that makes sense. <laughs> I think the players will way. have a lot more freedom. Yes, exactly. The, the, the front four, front three, depending on how we line up, are going to have a little bit more freedom to, to use their personality a little bit more and maybe try something slightly more risky than first thought, okay, pass number one's not there, I need to pass backwards, which was very, very sorry-like. Where And, and you, see, you saw it a lot with Ross Barkley. If you look up his passing charts from last season – they were sideways or backwards. Right. And and this season, this preseason, he already racked up three assists, if I'm not mistaken. So it's one of those things where, again, a full season under Sari, Jorginho did not have an assist. One preseason under Lampard, Jorginho recorded his first <laughs> assist. So it's little things like that. Like while while I'm not gonna judge him because he didn't have assists, because there are a lot of missed chances in in those tapes, but it's things like that. The, we're looking for that maybe piercing pass that maybe someone like Cesc Fabregas was very famous for during his time at Chelsea and and kind of making an opportunity rather than waiting for it to come. So, again, we might have less possession because of it, but I also think that it'll get a lot more fans off their seat than what Sarri was preaching at Chelsea. And I will certainly appreciate that when it's a 7 a.m. U.S. Eastern kickoff. Um, right. <laughs> so you mentioned when I asked you about the base midfield, uh, you said that it was Kovacic and uh, Jorginho starting in preseason. Is there an Angola Conte injury that I don't know about? Uh, yes. So Conte came back with some sort of groin injury, if I'm not mistaken, uh, either groin or knee, that Lampard was just very timid about using him because we all know Angola Conte is probably the world's best at winning a 50 50 ball or, or putting in a tackle. So. I think Lampard was probably smart in knowing that no matter kind of what formation he ends up using, Conte will be ready. Yeah. And he's probably just being a little bit more safe and in, in having him ready for the long season where, again, we already have a couple of key components missing. Uh, I think that that's the reason behind it. He played 30 minutes against Motion Gladbach on Saturday. He looked fantastic okay. and he – Typical Conte made our defense look a lot more solid. So <laughs> I, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out if he'll get the, the start at United, but I think that by week match day two versus Leicester, Conte will be back in the, in the fold at, in our starting 11. And do you see the partnership as like Conte back to his old number six defensive midfield destroyer type role and Jorginho as more like a number eight where we can wander the field a little bit? So I think that they're both... It's crazy. So they'll line up in the 4-2-3-1, but... I mentioned Jorginho's assist against Barcelona. It, he was actually the second highest pressing player huh. in that sequence. So I think that the the pressing style is going to be depending on what parts of the pitch we're in. And so I think it's going to be one of those give and take sort of things because Conte is also very good at pressing. So while they're both lined up at the base of a midfield, I think if if the ball is deep enough in the opposition and they're the closest man to the ball, I think they'll have full license to try to go and force a mistake. I do, but I do think that Conte will be more of a six defensively speaking. So if we lose the ball at midfield, you, I would expect Conte to be protecting the back line. Okay. Uh, that makes sense. So yeah, having Conte on the pitch will give our back four a little bit more stability because if if you're asking me honestly, I think the back four is still slightly – they're still learning, I, I think, to, to work with one another, especially under the new manager and without Rudiger being there. So the David Luiz plus one partnership is still figuring it out. 
and and yeah, it's just part of having a new manager for and the third time in three years. I mean, I know from watching and also from playing in a pressing system, it's really tough on the defenders because you're expected to be really high up the field and there's a lot of space behind you. Uh, like, right. I mean, I even remember, uh, you probably know this as a Chelsea fan, going back to when Andrew Villas-Boas took over and he tried to mm-hmm. have Chelsea play a high line and John Terry had all that space behind him. It suddenly <laughs> didn't suit him, right? So it is, it is a big ask for defenders and takes a lot of getting used to. Yeah, and, and part of it, and the, that's actually how Motion Gladbach scored their two goals. So I think that's still what they're trying to figure out. The, the front five, essentially, were, were pushing really high and pressing really high. But then our back line was so far back that when Motion oh, Gladbach earned possession, there was a huge gap. And they had a player, I can't remember who, was right on the bo- on the halfway line. And the nearest defender was at least 15 yards away. Yeah. So it, it's one of those things where... And apparently this was an issue at Derby last season too. So the back line needs to figure out if they're going to be playing a deep block or if they're going to be further forward. I think that's why also Lampard is so pushy of having Zuma be the the partner to David Luiz because Zuma is surprisingly very athletic. He's got that uh, catch-up speed in him that yeah. people don't expect in a 6'4", 200-plus pound center back. <laughs> and so... Yeah, you, you have that guy. That's also why you see Emerson potentially starting over Alonzo because of that recovery speed. And and so if if the back line can gain a little bit of confidence and fully understand that, yes, with a high line, the, the ball over the top could be an issue. But again, you, you have that guy with the recovery speed. And then we're fortunate to have a goalkeeper in Kepa who is very good with his feet. So I, I think they just need to kind of flip the switch i know that under conte was a very low block and i and i still feel that that sort of defensive identity is is very just carved into their head yeah uh just so just kind of buying into what the team needs to do now with this high pressing system is going to be kind of the growing pains just you know you have to restructure your way of thinking on what your first thought needs to be when your team loses possession and and kind of closing that gap between the lines is, is part of that it's interesting that you said that that was a problem for Lampard at Derby, though, because that suggests that maybe it's a thing that he's not great at fixing, is having his lines be too far apart. Um, maybe he'll learn the lesson very quickly in the Premier League. <laughs> I mean, yeah, hopefully he learns it quicker rather than later. Something that isn't spoken about, but I highly rate is the fact that Jody Morris, his assistant manager, came came with him. Oh, yeah. Uh, Former Chelsea player, a couple right? of Yeah, so Jody was actually the academy coach uh, for multiple seasons before Lampard took over at Derby and, and decided to bring him along. Uh, he was actually one of my dark horse picks to come and replace Conte. Mm. I thought that you know the, the big thing that they were trying to push was for an offensive manager, somebody that could kind of transition this slow, scripted buildup into something more, like we've been saying, more fun to watch. So I always thought, okay, well, Jody Morris has won countless trophies with with these academy players. He's the reason why we're able to sell and loan out these players easily. Why not bring that guy and give him a one-season trial? And if he doesn't work out, we go back to our typical CV manager (laughs) hire. So I'm really happy to have him back, especially during the transfer ban and in a time where – Chelsea needs to learn to to build their squad from within. Yeah. So 
the the partnership between Frank and Jody is going to be very important because Frank is going to be the voice that no Chelsea player in that locker room can say no to as him being potentially our greatest player ever. <laughs> and then you have Jody who tactically can probably speak to those young players and get them kind of caught up to speed based on his prior history with them. So I'm, I'm excited about them two together. Obviously I know that young managers are going to be naive and, and potentially, uh, some of their tactics will be found out, found out at some point or another, but I am excited at the at the potential that the two of them have as a duo and you with also, this current squad. You mentioned that Chelsea is kind of the villain in Premier League soccer. I think I think it's partly because they were the first team that had a big injection of money, right, out of nowhere. Definitely. Um, but maybe like being the team that has to play a load of youth players and having this form was well, really well liked former England player. Like I liked Frank Lampard. He just seems like a very genuine, intelligent, right. honest person. Like there's a chance that this changes Chelsea's reputation uh, this season. I hope so. But uh, for one, you mentioned it. Lampard is a very likable guy. Then you also have his foil, I guess not foil, but mirroring his style in the national team is Southgate, who yeah. has been giving a lot of these young players their debuts with the national team. So Chelsea is trying to bring back kind of an English identity to the side by going back to their academy players. All these kids that are, are potentially moving up have represented England in the U21s. Some of them won the World Cup uh, back in, I believe it was 2016 or 20, no, 2017. Yep, 2017, uh, they won the U20 so, and the U17 World Cup. Right, so Abraham, Adoy, uh, I don't think Mount was in that one, but Tamori was, and, and he's probably going on loan, but that's a whole other story. He's the All these players... Back, right? Yeah, center back. They, all these players have been in the England setup before. Uh, a lot of those players have captained the England youth setup before. And players like Hudson Adoy and Mason Mount have actually gotten to debut with the national senior side yeah. in, the, in the latest time, too. So, yeah, it, hopefully having Lampard as the manager and this kind of new for future backbone of English players back in, much like when we had Ashley Cole, John Terry, Frank Lampard. And having this kind of identity of strong English players can help that. But then again, it, it's going to take a while because this preseason, the moment Lampard lost, I think it was one nothing to to a Japanese side. They were playing in 100-degree humid weather. And, of course, Chelsea loses 1-0 after dominating possession and all that. The headlines were, oh, is Lampard in the hot seat? Like, immediately. <laughs> it is it is insane how quickly people are yeah, willing to drop the axe on ready our managers. To go. They're ready oh, to go yeah. with that. I mean, it is the for, easiest headline to write in, in world football. For every manager in the Premier League, there's that headline is ready to go with multiple English tabloids. Um, you mentioned young players who've got England caps. Tammy Abraham, I'm pretty confident, has played for the England senior team already. And again, correct me if I'm wrong, from preseason, it looks to me like Tammy Abraham back on loan, uh, back from his loan at Aston Villa, from his mm -hmm. multiple loans, right? He's been all over the place. Seems to be ahead of Olivier Giroud, World Cup winner Olivier Giroud, um, <laughs> and Michy Batshuayi. Am I, it, am I right? Is Tammy Abraham going to start the season? I, it looks like it, right? I, so I, it's been kind of a surprise. Uh, he's still, he has proven himself in the championship. So in the past three seasons, he's had two loans in the championship and then one in sandwich in between with Swansea when Swansea got relegated. So he went to, I believe, Bristol Rovers and he had something along the lines of over 25 goals. Then he joined Aston Villa in January and still got over 20 goals with yeah. them I've and got, helped them to promotion. So I'm from that area where Villa is. I've got lots mm -hmm. of friends who are Villa fans and they absolutely adore Tammy Abraham. 
Yeah, he's he's one of those fox in the box kind of players. He scores the ugly ones. He somehow gets the toe in front of the defender to poke it right <laughs> in. It's just I, I think that he hasn't had the chance to prove himself in the Premier League. I think that Swansea loan just it was not good. You know, it was already a relegation side. They lost the manager that wanted Tammy in there to begin with. Then they brought Wilfried Bonnie back, and that's another player in front of him. So he was destined to fail the moment they lost their manager. And so it, this is t- his tryout. I, I think that because of the high-pressing style, he has that benefit because he is surprisingly fast for a guy so kind of tall and long. Yeah. Uh, and also, like, pressing is very much a young man's game. And that's why it makes me think that maybe <laughs> Olivier Giroud is not the guy to lead the press. Um, and Tammy mm-hmm. Abraham is definitely more so the guy to lead the press. Yeah, so so he, he created, again, his two, he had an assist in one match where he pressed the, the other team into a mistake, leading to a tap-in by Mason Mount. And then against Barcelona, during the press, he found himself in a very opportunistic position for Jorginho to, to pass the ball to him and him dribble around Ter Stegen. So the biggest issue with Tammy, at the end of the day, a forward needs to score. Yeah. And I know it's preseason, and most of what you do in preseason is get your fitness back, but he's already missed a few sitters. So uh, as much as the in the pressing side of things, he seems to be the the number one guy due to that. The moment he stops, he, he doesn't start scoring those very finishable chances is where I can see trouble rising for him. Obviously, he's 20 years old and he's going to learn a lot. And again, a lot of the times it is rust and you don't have the chemistry with your uh, teammates and such. So I think if we can get him to service and he is well positioned in the box, he can grow to be the forward we want him to be. But there is also the other side of that coin where it might just be one of those, you know, the big small fish in a big pond kind yeah. of situations but I'm 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 more optimistic than not in terms of Tammy's future. What about Mishi Batshuayi? He's a guy who I just I love his personality. Um, <laughs> who doesn't? Do you remember the 2018 World Cup when he celebrated by kicking the ball into the post and it hit him in the face? And then, but then he retweeted it like and like very much made light of it wasn't embarrassed of it at all. That's oh the moment where goodness. I thought oh Mishi Batshuayi is my my kind of guy. Uh, is but is he Lampard's hilarious. kind of guy? So there's as fans, obviously, we see the social media presence and the big smile, and he always seems to find a camera and get in front of it. Apparently, what's kind of killed him is that he's not a player that practices well. Oh. So, you know, you see him and you see the highlights, and when he is on the field and he is getting the minutes, he scores, whether yeah. it's the ugly goal or sometimes a random screamer or the one-touch finish, and you think, oh, this guy's got the tools. But apparently, it's the the coachability and, and actually putting what's put to practice on the field it seems like he's more of an instinct player rather than someone who is you know going to learn a lot from practice at least that's why uh some of his loans have been more successful than others uh what, so Valencia, what are you, what are you basing that on is, is that like other coaches have said that or are these media reports about him um, not, not, the co- media, not being the media reports uh and you know he had a full summer with sorry and he had a decent preseason in terms of what we got to watch in the matches, yet he was a first name out on mm. loan. Then uh, Conte had him, but he wouldn't really start him. Even if he had him, he still didn't. He'd rather play with Eden Hazard up the middle than, than Mishi as the main man. So it's it's kind of those questions of how come we've had multiple coaches and multiple styles. And, and again, when he's on the pitch playing, he can play, but what is the 
the apprehension to playing him to begin with. So this is his best chance at getting minutes. I think, again, because we're going more the pressing style, I think that the starter is going to be him or Tammy to, to begin the season. And again, much like Tammy, he's a poacher. If there's something that Mishi can do is, is finish a ball that's in the box near his feet. Uh, the two, his two famous goals are the, the winner against Atletico Madrid at the Wanda Metropolitano when we were in the Champions League under Conte's second season. And then the even bigger one, the finish in the 93rd minute to beat West Brom and clinch the Premier League title in Conte's first season. I forgot so that he won are, the title. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So those are the things that he's... If, if he doesn't have to think, if he's already in the box and the ball is coming near him, he, he's going to do the job. Like I said, he's yeah. not going to make it pretty. Very much like Chicharito, it can probably hit him in the face and the ball can go into the back of the net. But that's what matters, right? If, if the tally says that he scored, that already puts him as a 8.0 as a striker on your who score gradings and things <laughs> like that. So, oh. And those are the things that matter as a, as a striker, you know, the, the number of goals you put in the back of the net. So I'm looking into my crystal ball. and we don't, We're not doing very specific predictions, which is the thing we used to do for the Premier League because uh, Taylor's <laughs> not here this week. But I would predict that you have a situation where Tammy Abraham is the trusted starting striker, maybe because he does more of the pressing, he's more coachable, he's performing that role really well, but he's missing a bunch of chances. And Mishi Batshuayi is coming in for the last 20 minutes and scoring semi-regularly. And there'll be this chorus of start Mishi, start Mishi, start Mishi. And Lampard oh. will be pushing back <laughs> against it because Abraham is you know, doing all the things that he's asked to do. I can right. see that situation developing and it's happened before. by October. And that's, that's <laughs> history repeating itself. That, that happened for a, a little bit of of Conte's first season was that or sorry I'm trying to think if it was Conte I think it was Conte's second season where Alvaro Morata was missing the sitters and Mishi had shown that with minutes he can score so uh the the very you know the very esteemed other Chelsea podcasts here in America probably the biggest one we have here is London is Blue podcast those guys started the hashtag minutes for Mishi <laughs> And one of their the guys, I believe it was Dan Dormer, he was very vocal about wanting the hashtag minutes for Mishi. And so it it could very much happen. Like I said, Bachuai coming in against tired legs. He's shown under Palace that if he's in the box again, he's going to score. Yeah. So like I said, one thing that we can definitely expect from Lampard is a lot more crosses going into the box to kind of hope that something happens rather than having to have the perfect buildup to get into the box. So it, you you might be very much you know Mishi could bag ten league goals as a substitute for all we know. <laughs> what about Olivier Giroud? Do you see him not getting any minutes at all, or being used sparingly, or how, how's his season going to go? See, so I think Giroud is such a good cup forward. I, he was the highest scoring player in the Europa in all of Europe, if you count Europa and Champions in the same level. He was the highest scorer in the Europa League tournament, and and the one thing that Olivier Giroud can do, I would say, probably top three in the world is hold that ball up yeah. for his wingers. He is such a good setup man with his back to goal. And that's why he is a he was a starter for France. Every match in the World Cup, people were screaming, he doesn't score, he doesn't score. Well, if it wasn't for him, Mbappe and Griezmann wouldn't have scored. Yeah. So I think that, you know, when we play those teams like your Last season, it was Cardiff and Newcastle that were playing essentially five men back lines with three holding mids. And, and you have these two solid blocks of defenders just parking the bus. That's where you you kind of want someone like Giroud to play the one twos or the 
play at him and he can then lay it off to a player making the run. I think that's where he'll still shine. I think he'll, he still has a place in this team because of experience. I think that again, if, if Tammy and Mishi don't produce Lampard might say, well, at least Giroud can assist the guys around him. And, and Hazard was famously quoted by saying that his favorite forward to play with was Giroud because yeah. that meant more goals for him because Giroud is looking to play his wingers through. So He's the most unselfish forward out there right now of the, of the big names. And, and you know, there, there may be times that call for a player like that, especially, you know, maybe high-pressing teams where maybe our midfield is so well-marked that we have to play a ball over the top to then build from there. Or maybe it is those deep-lying teams where there is no space to run in behind with direct passes, but maybe combination plays through Giroud can break teams down. So... While he may wish to be the starter week in and week out, I think he still has a role to play as a super sub or, or squad player. So maybe the optimistic version of Chelsea's striker situation is there isn't like one star striker that's just going to be guaranteed to start every week. But like each of the three that we mentioned have like slightly different attributes mm-hmm. that if Lampard chooses wisely, um, like Indiana Jones at the end of the Last Crusade, uh, he can <laughs> he can make sure he has the the most suited player. To, to beat that opponent, and maybe it will work out that way. Uh, hopefully, and, and again, that's kind of where Lampard beats Sari into where Sari was going to play the same 11 no matter what, and Lampard will change the formation and change how we approach a match based on who we're playing against and what we expect them to do. So, yeah, that, that's very possible. And again, at, at the end of the day, if we're scoring more goals with Giroud on the pitch versus with him off of it, he'll get more minutes. <laughs> is there? So I'm very aware that I've taken an hour of your time already. <laughs> um, is there anything, uh, so I have no more questions, but is there anything that I haven't asked you about that you think is like an important Chelsea topic for 2019-20? Um, so I think that one thing, with the transfer ban has been used as a very negative sort of thing and essentially ruining Chelsea. I think if Lampard, to, to kind of twist the negative into a positive, is if Lampard uses this season correctly, and I mentioned maybe we get a Europa League spot, but we have this foundation of young players, I think that this transfer ban can be the beginning of a, a very good and improved transfer policy for Chelsea. Finally learning and using the academy properly. Uh, in the past couple seasons, Chelsea has used the transfer window to sign squad players that could get maybe 10 total matches in a season, and it has not worked out well, as you can see with our outgoing transfers this season. Morata has, was a failure. Uh, currently, Chelsea is trying their best to, to sell players like Bakayoko, Drinkwater, and Zapacosta. And with those outgoing transfers, you look at, well, who's replacing each, in, each of those players? And Zapacosta with Reese James, uh, Drinkwater... He'd barely played, so he's probably comparable to, to now Will, uh, Billy Gilmore, the, the 17-year-old uh, Scottish player, potentially getting some minutes here and there in cup ties. And then Bakayoko getting replaced with not a like-for-like, like, but someone like Mason Mount. So using your academy to, to get those bit part players who can potentially grow to be more, and then really using the transfer window for those marquee signings who are going to be your week-in and week-out uh, standouts. So I'm hoping that this can teach Chelsea to go back to making maybe one or two big signings that are, are very needed and are obvious upgrades who are starters rather than trying to find your 15-minute substitute off the bench and paying high value for it. Got it. So 
I, I'm think I'm hoping that this is a, a lesson learned for the the board and how we approach the market because at the end of the day, you again, I I hate having to use Liverpool in, as an example, but they won the Champions League based on five seasons of only signing marquee players and using their academy for it. I mean, they have a 20-year-old right back who is now their starter, and Alexander-Arnold, and he's arguably the best right back in the league. Yeah. Uh, and, and that goes, you know, Joe, uh, Joe Gomez is now their secondary center back. And uh, at times, they had an, they have Woodburn now staying, and, and a couple of their other guys are now on their bench who were all on loan. So you you can learn sometimes from your rivals and i'm hoping that chelsea are taking notice of that that the market should be used to splash the big money on that one player that you know will make a difference yeah. rather than taking a gamble on a bench player yeah. yeah and paying a uk visa premium on a player who can't even you know make a bench yeah. so All yeah right. that's kind of like my last bit on the transfer ban i'm i'm trying to again hope that the the board of directors kind of learns from that and we can kind of turn it into a positive when we go into next summer with a very, very heavy uh, transfer war chest. <laughs> so if there are Chelsea fans who haven't, you know, heard you speak before, but have like really enjoyed this podcast, uh, where can they hear more from you? Yeah. So I, as we mentioned at the beginning, you can follow me directly at SSBlues underscore CFC. That's kind of my Chelsea dedicated Twitter page. But I am a member of the Romans Empire pod, on, which you can find on Twitter as well. We are available on SoundCloud, iTunes. Uh, we're trying to get Spotify on that list as well. So, yeah, we, we post weekly podcasts, everything Chelsea-related. We're actually going to be recording later today kind of our rem- second half of the preseason review. Oh, wow, you're doing double duty today then. Yeah, actually, triple duty. So that's a, the next step. I mentioned it to you briefly, Daryl. I am also doing a second venture and i'm calling that the the student of the game pod and uh this is going to be more kind of like your show total soccer show where i'll just get to come in and speak in more general terms about what's going on in world football whether it's a generic big headline such as the the women's national team or maybe it's just a recap of the top five leagues across europe or maybe the biggest transfer rumors going around and Hopefully I can line up a few guests, much like you did today, <laughs> to get other people's opinions and, and kind of get more of an educated information on, on what I'm trying to talk about. So uh, I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm just about to get started on that. But yeah, for Chelsea-related content, Roman's Empire Pod is the place to go. We are very active on Twitter. Send us your questions. We love to get those and answer those every week. And, and yeah, give, give us a follow. We'd love to, to hear from more Chelsea fans here stateside. All right, Andres, I will say, I will close by saying thank you for taking the time to talk to me about Chelsea today. Really appreciate it. No, it was a pleasure. It was so much fun. Thank you for having me. And then I will also say, I'm saying this to every person I interview for the Premier League previews, but I will say good luck to Chelsea this season. And I think I mean it a little bit more because of the potential for the thing you talked about with like Chelsea becoming more of a promote the academy kids because that benefits my England national team. There you go. So everyone can benefit from a potentially good and positive Chelsea season. 